welcome to the Visit Virginia's Blue Ridge podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin, and I have the pleasure to serve as a board member for Visit VBR. This is the podcast where I tell you all about the great things happening in Virginia's Blue Ridge, places like the city of Roanoke, surrounding Roanoke County, city of Salem, Botetourt, Franklin counties, and collectively, we are known as America's East Coast mountain biking capital. How about that? But today, we're going on the arts side. I'll be talking about Mill Mountain Theater. It's located at Center in the Square in downtown Roanoke, and Mill Mountain Theater is Roanoke's professional theater. And I'll be talking with Ginger Poole, who is the producing artistic director about the Christmas season for 2021 and a little bit about the uh, the show that they have, A Christmas Story, as well as the recently announced 2022 season. So you can make your plans to come to visit Virginia's Blue Ridge and see a show. Or if you live here already, uh, maybe you just want to know more about the shows that are coming and that'll suffice as well. Either way, I think it's a win-win situation. Let me tell you, uh, however, if you are listening outside the region, uh, that Virginia's Blue Ridge is nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. The Blue Ridge Parkway passes through, and if you want to come play in the mountains and enjoy a Metro Mountain mix, a Metro Mountain adventure, if you will, it's right here in Virginia's Blue Ridge. And so speaking of playing in the mountains and enjoying the, the Metro Mountain thing, today's podcast about Mill Mountain Theater, I believe is a perfect example of what I mean when I say Metro Mountain. So on the adventure side, the mountain side, if you will, that's everything outdoors, right? People come to Virginia's Blue Ridge for all of our outdoor attractions, hiking, bicycling, kayaking, birding, fishing, mountain biking, you name it. And then there's all kinds of sports stuff that I'll, I'll touch on later on on the podcast for for tournament sports, soccer, volleyball, basketball, that kind of thing. But And then in the midst of all of that, we have the city of Roanoke, the city of Salem, nearby town of Vinton, all sort of clustered together. And a little bit to the north, we have uh, historic Fincastle and Buchanan. To the south, there's the town of Rocky Mount and Franklin County. And all these communities have festivals and tours and breweries and distilleries and restaurants and, and reasons to go visit. So Roanoke, of course, is the biggest city in the group, and I've dubbed it the capital of Western Virginia. I'm not saying West Virginia, that's a state. We're just the western half of the state of Virginia, and Roanoke is the biggest city in the western half of the state, and it's home to museums. We have an opera here. We have a symphony. We have a major art museum in the Taubman, and yes, we have professional theater, and Mill Mountain Theater uh, is a regional professional theater. There there are musicals. There are full-on productions featuring local talent and, and players from all over the United States who are professionals who come here to practice their craft. So I'll be asking Ginger, how do they go about getting an actor based in New York or Philadelphia or Boston to come here and perform? And then how do you how do you choose them? It's not like, I mean, you'd like to think, oh, everybody comes to Roanoke and an actor is just passing through and says, gee, I think I'll audition for Christmas Story. Well, it doesn't work like that. It's a very, There's a very specific process, and it's amazing to see how it works and how far out they have to think about uh, attracting this talent and 
getting the commitment from this talent and how it works. And Ginger is the person who uh, is in charge of making sure all of that happens. So not only is she going to tell us about uh, everything going on with the Christmas season here, but she'll be looking further ahead and talking about some of the shows and performances, the major productions and some of the smaller productions that they have in their in their smaller theaters and some of the outreach that they do in the school. So it's all coming up. There's a lot more to Mill Mountain Theater than meets the eye, and it's coming up with Ginger Pool right here on the Visit VBR podcast. Welcome back to the Visit Virginia's Blue Ridge podcast. And joining me now is Ginger Poole with Mill Mountain Theater. As she runs the whole thing. I don't know what you're, what, what Ginger, welcome, first of all. Thank you. What is your title over there? Executive Director, Grand Poobah, what? You know, what's in a title anymore these days? But I guess on paper, I'm the producing artistic director. But like you said, have my hand in a, a little bit of everything. But officially, producing artistic director at Mill Mountain Theater. Producing artistic director, got it. Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that off the <laughs> off the top of my head. I should should have written it down. Um, so you guys, uh, you're back open. Uh, yes. I just went to see Legally Blonde and loved it. Thought it was Thank great. You. And you've Thank got you. and you've got the old classic, the the Christmas story, which is if people don't remember which Christmas one that is, that's the one with the lamp made out of the leg, right? That's right. Leg lamp, the Red Rider BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out. Runs 24 hours on TBS during the holidays. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the one. But you can see it live in Roanoke. So, yay. That's right. Yeah. yeah it is a yay. And this is one that um, we have been asked to do for years. And we did this one um, four holidays ago. And it truly is backed by popular demand. We typically wait about five years, five to six years before we might recycle content, but this one continues to be one of those that um, we are asked year after year, when are you going to bring a Christmas story back? So folks, it's back. <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting. So I mean, of all the Christmas things you could do, why right. do you think this one resonates? I think it's just one of those um, newer classics. I mean, it's around probably going on just over 30 years that the movie came out, which makes me think, oh my gosh, it's that old, maybe even 35 years, actually. Um, That makes me think, wow, is it really that old? Um, But it plays so well. I think it connects with the newer audience, you know, the younger audience. It definitely connects with um, folks that grew up seeing the movie and whatnot. And then there's the the other generation that grew up in the late 40s and 50s, that this is, you know, a snapshot of their childhood as well. And it, it blows my mind because I, will, I always say Roanoke loves their musicals and especially around the holidays. And this is one of the top grossing box office hits that we have ever done in our 57 years. And it's not a musical, but it plays like one because just like the movie, we we stage it and arrange it. Um, it's very uh, cinematic. So it's gonna it's gonna strike all those chords that the movie does for you. Yeah, that's. I was wondering how how closely does it follow the movie if someone's trying to decide. Very. I mean, you will. You'll be very happy. All of the highlights and the things that you're expecting, you're going to go away with. What What do you think are the stage highlights of a Christmas story? 
I mean, everything that you, you know, this is one of those, I think, again, I keep comparing it to the film because that's what everybody's first experience was with the show. And so many of, you know, my friends and patrons that have, are fans, you know, there's, there's total scenes that people can recite in whole. I think some of those are definitely um, the, the dad gets the leg lamp as the major award. Um, there's that scene. There's when Flick gets his tongue stuck to the lamppost because he's challenged um, play, playground friends to, to lick the cold lamppost and the fire truck. Um, there's of course the classic scene where uh, uh, Ralphie is helping his dad change a tire and may exercise some language that he shouldn't have. And um, that with, followed up by getting his you know, mouth washed out with a coat. Of course, the, the classic um, classroom scenes with the teacher. It's like Ralphie, he can't get a break. Everybody turns from his mother to his father to his teacher. Everyone's saying it's a horrible decision to ask for the red BB gun because guess what? You'll shoot your eye out. So all of those moments and more are going to hit home with folks that are fans of the movie or of the play if they saw it with us about four years ago. Yeah, well... That's uh, that's going to go well. Now, let's just use this as an example. And then eventually I want to talk a little bit about yeah. what you have coming after this one closes and you and you get into your schedule for next year. But when you do these plays, some of the talent is local Virginia based, but most of it is not right. But we do um, do audition locally and we try to use our, our local audience our local artist um, as often as we can. Right. Um, but there are actors out there in New York and Philadelphia and other places um, right. who are willing to share their talents with those of us in smaller cities. So how do you go about getting these people? That's a great question. And it's always one that um, I find interesting. It's one of the most favorite things that I get to do with my job is the casting. So there's several components. Like, first of all, you know, you, you, you go through the artistic meetings to figure out the season. So you've got your lineup, but now you've got to get your players. So it, there's, there's moments when if we can have a through line and have somebody kind of segue from show to show, that's fantastic. Again, if it works out, but when we're finding these folks, um, we are partners with um, the Actors Equity Association, which is the professional actors union for actor stage managers, and their base city is in New York. So we have some obligations that we have to do in being um, Roanoke's only union equity house. So we have a local audition here in Roanoke first, and we have to do the Roanoke one first. Like, again, there's like little boxes that we have to check. Um, so we do the Roanoke audition first, and we typically do that in like late January, early February. And when we say the local Roanoke audition, we're entertaining, of course, you know, the folks around the Roanoke Valley, they're right here in our backyard, but we also might draw folks from North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Ohio, Pennsylvania, I mean, that are willing to come in to see us at our local audition. So we finish that round, and then typically I like to stack it because everything's fresh and new in my brain. So if we do that Roanoke audition on one, one weekend, the very following week, I go up to New York, and this is more of that New York call where 
we're really seeing folks that are New York based, sometimes New Jersey um, will pop over and we're there for about three or four days. And we're doing the same round, exactly what we did in Roanoke. We go through that round and then there's actually a third component that finishes up our season. And right after that week, we go immediately to the Southeastern Theater Conference. And this is a conference that moves around from city to city. Sometimes it's in Charlotte, Memphis, Atlanta, you know, depends on um, their rotation in the cities that can accommodate. And this is that perfect market to, this is where the college and university students are coming to look for summer work or if they're recent graduates, you know, their first, um, possibly their first um, professional job. And this is where we flesh out like our ensembles and our apprentice class and our interns. So there's like three phases, but we do start locally first. And I'm always blown away at what Roanoke brings us. Um, there are some major talents in our area immediately and just surrounding. So there's three parts and a three long uh, hard weeks of auditioning. And then we literally passed the entire season after we've attended all three of these weeks. We sit down, there's post-it notes all over my walls and we've got headshots all over my office and we arrange and put that season of players together and start making the offers and just then have your fingers crossed that, that everybody says, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Is that, that, I would imagine everybody does not say yes, just because maybe they got another offer or something. And that's the thing. And that's part of like, it's just the nature of our business. There are other offers. Um, there are, and sometimes that offer might be, you know, a dream role that they want to do. Sometimes that offer is a much bigger role, like a Broadway role or a tour or a cruise line, you know, something that will give them nine months of work versus, you know, seven or eight weeks of work, which I, which I could offer doing a show here in Roanoke. Um, and then there's other things that, you know, it's hard to accept a job offer sometimes 12 or even 14 months in advance that we're looking that far ahead that they can tentatively say yes. And I also know things happen during that time. So there is a nature of a constant um, changing, I guess, as far as the, the players and the lineup that we have. We do that first initial offer and we've got the names on like the big um, poster tarot sheets, you know, up on my wall. And, and by the end of the season, you can see like where things have been scratched through and another name has been, you know, added because, you know, people's lives change and this business is, is busy. It had a, you know, an awkward halt for almost um, 18 months. So it, that gave us this flood of people, especially in this 2021 season that we were able to mount, um, that so many people had been out of work for so long that everybody was hungry to get back. And, you know, not every theater was producing or not every theater was producing safely. So that mm -hmm. um, we saw a flood of artists, um, you know, coming through Mill Mountain to try to squeeze into the few roles that we had in this truncated season of 21. So now when I saw Legally Blonde, I, I feel like the theater was full. I, I, I didn't look behind me and count the seats, but it felt like a full house. Well, I'm I, glad it felt full because y'all were fabulous audiences that with your enthusiasm and, and praise and applause, you made it feel full. But we're not selling at capacity purposely because um, we want to give ourselves space um, to spread out uh, or to give somebody the choice once they get there and get in their purchase seat. And they might feel like, ooh, 
this might be a little close. Can I move up there? We've purposely not sold everything in the top left and top right sections of the theater so that we can have room to, to spread out. And again, to try to um, work with everybody's comfort level and, and take care of everybody safely and responsibly. Yeah, so that, that was a COVID precaution. It um, was. And, and I, I want to ask you about COVID in a minute, but, um, sure. but my main thought is, is, are the crowds coming back as well as the players? They are. And I think that we've seen like some, some different, we've touched different points in the past year. Um, Cause we do work on a calendar year. So once the new year starts, that's like, you know, our new season. And we strategically planned this 21 season with some stepping stones with growth for us to make sure that we were doing the most responsible and that we could handle what we were promising we could do. So if you look back on one season, we started out in January and February, we were still doing things 100% virtually or by Zoom. And that might not have been, you know, full productions, but it was, you know, right stuff. Our young competition and our classes were all still virtual. We then went to an outdoor location for um, uh, one of our Shakespeare shows for, again, our youth. And we did that outside again, choice um, to keep everybody, you know, in an open air space. And it worked beautifully um, with the show and the crowds came. And that was our first boost of, okay, people are hungry. They have missed us. They have missed live performances. Um, so from there, we brought in a one woman show which typically would have fit in our fringe series, which is our black box over on church, much smaller. Um, we, we tend to do uh, newer works or more risque works. We actually moved it over on the trinkle. So again, we could have the space to spread out. And this one woman show was the first time that we got to exercise everything we had planned on paper, you know, the past 16 months on how do we handle front of house? How do we handle our volunteers? How do we handle ticketing? How do we handle playbills? You know, everything that you think about, you know, has a touch point of, you know, tearing tickets or passing out paper and things like that. How do we seat people? So that again, gave us another layer of confidence. And again, this was strategically planned that we were going to take these things slow. That went well. So then we were up for the first large show that we had done in the Trinkle, and that was Million Dollar Quartet. And Million Dollar Quartet, it is a, it's a huge show technically because all of the artists play their own instruments. So the sound has to be incredible from mm -hmm. day one. Um, it's like a, a jam session from day one. Uh -huh. But it's also one set. There's no moving pieces. And there's eight people in the show. So it's for us, a musical that tends to be on the smaller side. And we chose this because we knew it would be a box office smash. We knew we could manage it with our housing and backstage with eight people in the cast. Um, they didn't have any costume changes and the set didn't move. So that again, took a layer of worry and concern on how do we handle all of this it was the perfect show for that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and Roanoke loved it. So that one was the one we thought, okay, we can do this safely as we're all figuring out, navigating what is this world we live in now. That one was followed up by Legally Blonde, which we just closed about two weeks ago. And that one, we, you know, we went from eight to 12 people, which doesn't sound like much of a jump, but in housing, it's more rooms and more people living together. Um, and, 
my gosh, you saw Legally Blonde. There were so many moving components in that set. There were so many costume changes. I mean, there were characters that played sometimes five and six roles and would literally leave the stage in one costume and sometimes in like eight seconds, eight seconds would make a full costume change and would enter as another character. So that was the biggest stretch that we've done so far. And we did it. Um, We're 100% fully vaccinated staff and cast and everybody that touches and works on the show. And again, this is something that um, we're proud to say that we're doing, but it's also something that we have to do if we want to continue with our, you know, professional equity house status. It's something that the union is requiring us to do. And it does take a lot more planning. It does take a lot more managing. Um, And we've been able to do that. Um, Are some things a headache? 100%, but we're doing it and we're proud to say that we're doing it. So we're actually, as we roll into this closing show, just to wrap up our COVID year of 2021, um, this one actually feels small again in comparison to Legally Blonde, even though there's a ton of moving components. You know, there's only four adults in the show and there's seven children. Um, So it, it seems smaller, but still costume changes, but there's no orchestra. There's no big dance numbers. It's not a musical. So it's, um, we feel like we can actually exhale as we close this um, end of season out. And again, we know that um, the the title alone sells it for us because it's one of those that people are hungry for. And it's a happy show. You leave laughing. Um, yeah. So it's not, not too much to digest or it's not too heavy to leave the theater. You know, you're, you're leaving laughing and, and good memories. So Great. So, and when you cast children, I would assume they're, are the children local? hundred percent. And that's something we're really proud of that we do at Mill Mountain Theater is that we do offer our youth artists in our area performance opportunities on the main stage with professionals. Um, and that's, um, that's a, that's an experience that is a big milestone for a lot of these, you know, youths and young artists is to be able to work um, and understand the big picture of what's happening. And again, we're, you know, they may grow up and and become actors, or if anything, I would love them to just grow up and be, you know, performing arts enthusiasts. So, or, or a great board member or a season ticket holder. But um, during this time in their life, we want to give them the best experience and training and let them see what it's like to work with professionals on our stage. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. So let's talk about what do you have lined up for us starting next year in 2022? It's a really exciting season. And there's there's something to say about where we choose the shows. We take a lot of time. We get input from staff members, from board members, from community Um, We do a survey and that's where like we find out, like, again, going back to use the example of, um, you know, Christmas story, it's always on the list, just like Million Dollar Quartet was always on the list. And I I thankfully joked that we didn't do Million Dollar Quartet before this season, because honestly, we really needed to do it this season. So I'm grateful we didn't do it like a couple of years ago because it was the perfect one for us. So a lot goes into trying to find something that um, we want to have something for everyone, whether you're a musical lover or you know you love our concerts or you love more of our straight shows, you love our youth programming, our outreach. We really try to do something for everybody. But what we've got on uh, 
on the lineup for our Trinkle main stage season. And these are the ones that are actually performed on the big stage. Um, we start out with In the Heights, which if you're not familiar with that title, I think you'll be familiar with um, the man who created this. And it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer, of course, of and the star of Hamilton. Hamilton so this yeah. one actually he did before his Hamilton phase. Also was Tony nominated and actually won a couple of Tonys very early in his career. Um, I mean, I think he was like 27 or 28 when mm. he wrote In the Heights, but it's a, it's, um, it's a, a wonderful show full of energy, um, full of song and dance that is incredible. So we will start out our season with that. And it shows a lot of diversity in the casting um, because it really focuses on the Latina community in, um, in New York City uh, during uh, the, the last um, decade or so. We then follow up with something that was a part of our 2020 season that had to be canceled um, due to uh, the COVID shutdown, but we're bringing back um, the Diary of Anne Frank. And I think this is a piece of theater and a piece of literature as far as the book that is still poignant, it's still current, it's still taught in the school. So we have a wonderful partnership with um, the school systems in our area that they bring in the students that are learning this in their English classes, and they can actually see the, you know, from page to stage, if you will, the story being told live. And um, we're excited that that one had a return um, from our 2020 season. And then we'll wrap up the, the holiday show with um, Irvin Berlin's classic Holiday Inn. And again, you might be familiar with this movie. If you're a fan of um, Irvin Berlin's White Christmas, you're going to love uh, Holiday Inn. It's that classic Christmas musical, the big tap numbers, the beautiful crooners that sing, the, the sweet love stories, um, and the, the attitude of, you know, we can, we can do anything. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, we've also got going on um, our Fringe series, which I mentioned earlier. Um, this is where we produce over on our black box space, which is over on actually the Church Street entr entrance um, across from the Hampton Inn and the historic mm -hmm. fire house there on church. But it's a it's a wonderful smaller space that has a lot of transition, to, meaning we can change the seating around however we want to do it. So our idea is every time you go over there, we hope it's a different experience for you, like you're sitting in a different configuration or the stage is in a different place. So we're happy to bring um two very important works. Um, one is, again, a return from a show that had to be canceled in 2020. It's called The Cake, and it is straight out of the newspapers several years ago in North Carolina from the, the baker that uh, refused to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Yes. Well, this story is told through, um, through the eyes of the baker and what she is put through, and there's a happy ending to this, but it's pointing in the fact that it's, again, it's still current. Um, the story needs to be told. The playwright is actually um, Rebecca Broomstetter, who is um, the main writer for the NBC hit, This Is Us, so that you can understand that if you like that television show, her writing style is the same in this play as far as the dialogue's beautifully written. The story's told with a lot of humor. There's a lot of laughter and a lot of heart uh, written in this. But that's the cake that will be on the um, the French series over on Waldron. And then we're excited to bring back, not bring back, but to bring a musical back 
to this small space. And that musical is Fun Home. And this had a huge Broadway um, experience uh, about five years ago, um, won several Tonys. And this is the story of a, a young person finding their way with their family as they come out. And I think these two plays fit together nicely. We, we don't always force a theme over on the friend, but if one organically bubbles up, we embrace it. So we're hoping to do, um, you know, do a lot of nice partnerships with um, some talkbacks and some panel discussions. And that's another nice thing about our French series is that we go deeper with that theatrical experience. We want to have these deeper conversations after a, um, after a performance, you know, some wine and cheese or to meet at um, a local, you know, uh, bar or restaurant after the show because the space is so small, we can take a small group of patrons along with the full cast and have like a really cool conversation. Sometimes we do it right there in the theater after the show, but we want that to be a different theater experience um, for our, our patrons and our supporters. And then the, the other thing that I haven't mentioned is um, our young audience series. Um, and this is where we have the planning for all of our youth, whether that's pre-K all the way through college age. But we, um, back for goodness, 22 will mark our sixth anniversary of Right Stuff. And that'll start out our young audience programming. And this is a young playwrights competition. But when we started six years ago, we literally had three entries and we produced all three. We're now, like last season, I think we had over 30 entries mm. and we have a panel of readers, professional readers that choose these. And these young artists actually get to produce their work and cast their work and see it um, come to life with a professional director, real artist, and they do this over on the Waldron. So we're really proud about that. We then go into As You Like It, um, we found that Midsummer, our Shakespeare uh, production of Midsummer Outside um, over in Grandin this year was so popular with not only our young audiences, um, young performers, but with our audiences as well. We brought back another Shakespeare. So we'll be doing As You Like It. Um, and we're excited to bring that back. And we will have young artists, performers in that one. For our tour, and this is a real important part of the whole makeup of Mill Mountain as a community partner. Um, we have our outreach summer tour that tours for an entire month. And this is where we actually bring the arts into different neighborhoods, into different schools, into different parks. And we bring a live performance. This is Curious George and the Golden Meatball. It's a musical about the classic monkey, um, Curious right. George and all of the books. And the, the, the interesting fact about this outreach tour is for the past um, probably six years now, we have partnered with um, all of the literacy nonprofits and the school districts to really get some deep research and to we give a book to every child that attends these plays and tours. We then follow up with a survey with the parent or guardian to see, did you book with the child? the library? Did it encourage you to check out more books? Are you reading together as a family? Did you learn more vocabulary? And we're seeing now, because going into like the sixth or seventh year of this, we're seeing feedback now from the school systems that can show the work that we're doing as far as putting books in hands and following up. So we're real proud of that work. But that's Curious George and the Golden Meatball. We'll be out in the community. Um, and then we then bring back an opportunity for the main stage um, for young 
artist to perform on our main stage. And this is Disney's High School Musical. So it's got several phases of it was a, a musical first with Disney. It was a TV show. It's now I've got a reboot of kind of uh, High School Musical 2.0 as the TV show currently. So it's interesting that we've got the 30-something-year-old moms that were children during the first round that are they're all excited about seeing it themselves but bringing their own children. So that'll be on uh, the Trinkle main stage. And then we'll wrap it up with a studio performance of Peter and Wendy, which is an adaptation of uh, Peter Pan. Peter Pan, right? on yeah. our stage. And that's a pay what you can series. So um, we open that up to the um, our audiences and you can come and see it for free. You can drop a couple of dollars in the bucket. You can make a significant donation. Um, whatever suits your fancy, we want to give this gift um, back to the community. So that wraps up the 22 season for Mill Mountain Theater and everything we've got. Oh, wait, I've missed two things. We've got our concert series. Concert um, series, okay. Yes, Mill Mountain Music, which has become so popular for us. And we're really excited about these two titles. Um, but to give you an idea, the music, uh, the concert series, we self-produce these in-house. So it's an opportunity for us to bring back some of the Mill Mountain favorites, if you will, that have been on our stage and that we love to work with. We bring them in on a Friday. We send them home on the following Sunday, which means we only rehearse this music for a week. We open on the next Friday, have a show on Saturday matinee, Saturday evening, and send them home on a Sunday. And what we'll be doing in 22, we'll do the boy bands through the decades. Oh, which wow. Be That'll be popular. Well, that, I mean, think about it. You could go all the way back to the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and you can still do NSYNC and, um, you know, New Kids on the Block and everything in between. So we're excited about that concert. And then to match that, we're going to do the Ladies of the 80s. So we're excited about those two titles. But that truly, now mentioning those two shows, that truly wraps up what we've got planned for you for 22. Well, that'll be popular. What? So your funding for Mill Mountain Theater. I, yes. I know the playbill always has all the patrons listed in the back. It, what percentage of your money comes from GATE and what percentage comes from support in the community? That's a great question. And I'm going to give you the answer that was pre-COVID because that's okay. shifted a little bit, but we are seeing the trend get back to our norm. Um, but we're about 60-40 as far as, um, you know, box office revenue and, um, and and donations, whether those are individual or corporate sponsors. And we are, um, we're, we're very happy with that ratio and, and just the generosity of our community. And I think it's that, that recognition of, you know, to, again, be transparent. We had a big scare back in 2009 where Roanoke almost lost Mill Mountain Theater um, during that time. And I think it was during that time that we could self-reflect. Of course, we, you know, we came up with a new business model. We're now, you know, healthy and we're, you know, in the black year to year, but it still means that the, those donations are still very important. We, we can't do it without those donations, but I think with the, um, the generosity of our community, we do recognize that Roanoke needs a professional theater. And when there was that scare that we almost lost it, I think people realize, oh, wait, it does matter if I buy a ticket or not. It does matter if I, you know, send in my end of year donation or, or whatnot. So it's all important. It's all important. Yeah. Speaking of which, of course, you know, 
I work with a number of nonprofits locally, and I know the fourth quarter, and in particular, the month of December is when people send those checks. That's so, right. Um, you, you know, let's let's just uh, make that plea right now on behalf of Mill Mountain Theater. You you need that money, don't you? We do. And it's it's been, you know, an, an odd year. And I think it's I don't want people to be sick of hearing, you know, the COVID conversation. But, you know, to think that our industry literally shut down for 16 months, um, that was eye opening. And I do think that, um, again, like my grandmother always told me, every dollar stacks up. Um, so no donation is too small, but they're all equally important. And, and even with you know some of the federal grant relief money and whatnot, that's already accounted for. Like that's just not money that's sitting in our bank account and we're thinking, oh, wow, we've got, the, that's already, we've already have a plan and that has to be spent in a certain way. So we're still dependent on, you know, those uh, annual end of year donations, like you said, the, the magic month of, de- of December. So. Okay, great. Well, Ginger, is there, is there anything else you want uh, the listeners to know about Mill Mountain Theater and and why they should support it. And I mean, I can attest to how wonderful it is, but. Well, thank um, you, John. I think, you know, there's, um, there's with the shows, with the concerts, with the plays, there's something that we haven't mentioned is the, the conservatory, which is the educational wing at Mill Mountain Theater, which is so important to our community. And we teach ages, you know, pre K through adult and we'd love to have you come out and, and check out a class or a summer camp with us. That's always important. And again, like I said, we're, we're not necessarily grooming the next, um, you know, Broadway star. There may be there in the mix, but I, I hope to just um, to, to nurture the love of, of live performing arts and that they become a great patron or, you know, a, a future donor or, or whatnot. But who knows, we might have the, the next, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda you know, under our roof. Um, but I think that's important. And, and there's also some other things that we have in the mix of um, through COVID, again, silver lining, um, you know, speaking on your podcast, we created um, Meet Me at Mill Mountain, the podcast, which has been a lot of fun for us to reconnect with artists that have worked with us before or artists in other parts of the country that are in our industry to bring um, kind of an insider's track to, to what we do. So that's been a fun thing for us to do. And folks can find out more information on our website about our season, about our classes, about our podcast, how to donate. And that's millmountain.org. But thank you, John, for, for opening the eyes um, and giving a little backstage peek to Mill Mountain Theater. portion of the vision statement from from this and it's i know it aligns perfectly with what you just heard from ginger but it's to continue to lead the artistic and cultural growth for roanoke virginia and to enhance the quality of life in virginia's blue ridge to cultivate a loyal audience that will support a variety of programming and enjoy the inherent rewards of pushing artistic boundaries thus ensuring our long-term sustainability to represent a national theater conversation with our region and to be a regional beacon for artistic excellence. So whether you're listening just because you want to know what's being offered, uh, as I said, in the next 14 months or, you know, whether you want to come see, you know, true 
professional theater, I think that Mill Mountain Theater is uh, is certainly a way to go. My wife, Mary, and I support it. Uh, we, we get tickets to as many shows as we possibly can fit into our schedule. We'll be taking in a Christmas story, and you heard during the interview how much we went and enjoyed uh, Legally Blonde. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Virginia's Blue Ridge. If you're listening, Virginia's Blue Ridge has museums like the famous Old Winston Link Museum, the Transportation Museum of Virginia, the Taubman Museum of Art. And if art, by the way, interests you and you like what you heard on the podcast today with respect to theater, please go back and listen to my interview with Cindy Peterson at the Taubman Museum of Art because I think you'll enjoy hearing more about how art has really taken a foothold here in the community, the metro part of our Metro Mountain Mix. And uh, Virginia's Blue Ridge also features, maybe this goes without saying, but I'd like to point out, we have amazing shopping. Uh, specifically, we have the we have Valley View Mall, of course, but right on the downtown market, it's fantastic. And don't forget our quaint downtown shopping and eating in places like Salem, Vinton, Rocky Mountain, Buchanan. And if you are here uh, because of a tournament, and that's very likely because we host tournaments from people from all over the United States. All 50 states come here to play softball, volleyball, soccer, basketball. We have all the facilities for that. So maybe you take in a show while uh, somebody in the family is playing in a tournament. Uh, you know, we just want you to know about those things. Or maybe if you're looking for a place to bring your tournament and you want to make sure that there's something for people to do while they're here, uh, this is... Uh, this is certainly a good resource for you. And if you're looking for the ultimate guide to what's going on here in Virginia's Blue Ridge, uh, the podcast just really scratches the surface. Go to visitvbr.com. Blogs, maps for cycling, hikes to waterfalls, the restaurants, the Cheers Trail, which guides you through our local brew pubs, wineries, and distilleries, and a complete list of places to stay. And by the way, I recently did do a podcast about the Cheers Trail with Catherine Fox of Visit VBR. Uh, so there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So if you come here and you do something, we have a campaign called Be a Trail Setter. So just post your pics on your social media with the hashtag Trailsetter. Thanks again to Ginger Pool for joining me here on the Visit VBR podcast. Whether you're a visitor, whether you live here, go check out Mill Mountain Theater. I have tickets to see a Christmas story, and I am really looking forward to it. It's a great part of just getting into the feel of the season and seeing some top-quality theater right here in Virginia's Blue Ridge. I'll have another podcast coming out soon. In the meantime, I hope to see you here in Virginia's Blue Ridge. <music>